First of all, I want to thank you guys for tuning in. Before you guys listen to uh, Jeffrey Michael's interview, I want to let you guys know how I came across him, how everything started and how the interview went. This is behind the scenes. So I was actually exercising and I was going around jogging around my area. And halfway towards the run, I bumped into one of these, this guy, I don't know his name, he was without a shirt, he looked homeless, he passes by, I was passing by him running, and he asked me if I had a shirt to give him. So I told him, sure, I'll, I'll come back, I'm like, are you thirsty too? I'm like, I'll bring you some water. He's like, sure, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll wait here, I'll be right here, I will not go anywhere. He had, had, his, he had some of his belongings around him. I don't know, it looked, I, I wasn't sure what it was. Lighters, I think I saw a lighter in there or something like that. But he was without a shirt and he looked homeless, real dirty looking. And while I'm walking away, letting them know that I'll bring him a water, that's when Jeffrey Michaels comes along and he starts talking to me as well. He was homeless as well. And I offered him some water as well. And he said, sure. And he's all like, oh, I try to work out too. And he kind of flexed, you know, I'm like, all right, you got this, bro. You got this. I'm like, I'll come back right now. Bring you guys some water and a couple of t-shirts. So I did. I went back running to my house, grabbed the t-shirts, bottles of water, went back to, uh, to see if they were still at where I saw them, the area. And they were. And the guy, the first guy I bumped into, I asked him if he was around this area a lot or often he replied that he lived here and I'm like well, what do you mean you live here you live you stay here in the area of San Bernardino because once again he was he looked homeless he's like no I live over there and he just points at some random area I'm like with who I'm like what are you doing out here without a shirt you know and he's all like oh with my wife with your wife he's like yeah i'm like oh i'm like do you mind if i interview you and ask you some questions i i told him i do a podcast and i was just wondering how he led to the situation he's at now then he just began to mumble some stuff and it, it seemed like he didn't want to get interviewed and i made him uncomfortable and he just got up and took off he said he had to go to use the restroom he just wandered off leaving one of the shirts behind and I saw was like some food and the lighter and some other stuff right there. At that time, Jeffrey Michael comes from uh, behind the building and he's all like, oh, he'll come back. Don't worry about it, man. He, I guess he does that often or something. I'm not sure, but he's like, yeah, it's fine. He's like, if not, I'll stay here and keep an eye on his stuff. Guy's fine. So then I started talking to Jeffrey Michaels, asked him his name. He told me who he was. I began to ask him if he mind if I interviewed him real quick. He, he It took a second for him to process it and told me that his mind is all over the place and it would take a minute for him to uh, process the questions. He's all like, but yes, I'm, I'm okay with it. Go ahead. So what, what I got off of the interview that I did to him was these guys just want to be heard, acknowledge and there was some stuff that didn't make sense to me when I was asking him certain questions but you could tell he wanted to make clear what he was feeling and the stuff that he dealt with and things that he's done there was one of the questions I just want to clarify real quick that 
I asked him, and he kept repeating with the answer about some chicken upsetting his stomach, but he kept eating it because he didn't have a choice. That was the only food he was getting from this place for him to eat. And certain things to eat that just were not clear to me, I would say, when I was inter interviewing him. It seemed like also he had probably a, I could be wrong, but from when I got a little bit off of it, he had a gambling problem, a gambling problem. He mentions that a couple of times about how he regrets dealing with something like that. Like I said, some of those questions were not cleared answers, but they're very interesting. And this is coming from somebody that's been homeless since, I believe he said, he says the year there, it's been a while. And we're in 2022 right now of August. So this guy's been out in the streets for quite some time. And you could tell they have mental health issues. They definitely do. Just like some of us out there. And we just handle it different. His mind is all over the place. He talks about certain things. But give me your guys' input. I would love to know what you guys get out of his his interview and what you guys think this was a random guy bumped in the streets he was homeless he verifies it and I just start asking him questions and his answers you guys will hear it stay tuned nevertheless here goes his interview you got this what up what up this is your main man Leo and I'm here with what was your name bro Jeffrey Michael Gillum all right he's uh he stays here in San Bernardino I'm going to interview him real quick, get some part of his life, and just get to know this guy, man. And if you guys see him in the streets in the city of San Bernardino, give him a hand and help him out. So what city do you usually stay at, man? Uh, north end of San Bernardino. North San Bernardino. North end. Yeah. So how long have you been homeless for? Um, well, in, in, um, my wife and I got in a divorce in the year 2002, and that's when I started being homeless. And for the t first 10 years of being homeless, I, uh, I picked up trash 24 hours a day. Really? For 10 years, yeah. And at the end of it, you know, sometime after that, my stepfather rewarded me with a new car, but someone stole it before I even got it, received it. They stole it here in San Bernardino? Yeah, right right in front of the business that he owns. Yeah. Did, did you have a job at a certain point? Yeah, I worked all the way until the year 2002, and I took the, I, I, I got off work from my disability, yeah. you know, from surgery. I went through when I was younger at the dentist's office. Oh, where did you work at before? Costco Wholesale in San Bernardino on Hospitality Lane. Before that, I worked at Costco, and before that, Price Club. Price Club. Yeah. All right. Um, tell me the good part of your life, bro. Like, e yeah, everything that was going good to the point where you became homeless. Well, everything was going well. My wife and I, we just had a difference. We see things a little differently. She's, I think she's seen it. She thought I was, you know, going out and about, and she was one doing it, I think. And we just didn't, we didn't meet eye to eye, so she left me and divorced me, and it just, it broke my heart, so. And I've been homeless ever since, pretty much. So you pretty much got depressed after well, uh, she yeah. divorced you? Yeah, it was real difficult to get over with, get over, but I'm over it now, yeah. Yeah. So, um, what do you do right now on a daily basis? On a daily basis, I, I normally get up and I, I on, on, you know, two or three days a week, I work at Graziano's, the restaurant right there in Highland. Then after that, I go to the bar and, and help out there. I don't really work, I just pick up my mess, so to speak. And then I um, you know, pick up trash a lot along the highway every day, just about. 
Like collect cans? Is that what you no, mean? No, I don't collect cans. I just pick up trash. Just to clean up the community. Yeah. Oh, shit. So besides being homeless and everything, you're out there helping the community clean yeah. it up and all that? Yeah, for 10 years, the first 10 years, I got I went homeless in the year 2002. And until I got arrested in 12-12, um, I picked up trash every day, 24 hours a day for the first 10 years. Yeah. What did you get arrested for? Um, resisting arrest and assault, but I didn't do that. I was innocent. My record fell off. What 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 um what are your hardest days, dude? Tell me your hardest days that you deal with on an everyday basis. Um, the hardest days, I'm dealing with my friends are the hardest days. You know, them not telling the truth and not being honest. You know, um, the hardest days were, uh, you know, my disability. It's uh, you know, I have a hard time. You know, I have a hard time um, getting. You know, getting up. One time I had a hard time getting up. I was like paralyzed, but I was able to get up eventually. It took me a long time. That's the hardest day I ever had in my life when I couldn't move a muscle in my body. You know, and then eventually it took hours and days and days to get back and to learn how to talk again and walk again. That's the hardest day of my life. Really? So you were out there in the streets just laying there for days, yeah. pretty much? Well, yeah, that's that's happened for sure. Yeah, pretty much. But I've, I've recovered since then. What about like hot days today? Like, how do you stay cool? Um, normally, I um, I stay cool just by, um, you know, I, I don't drink alcohol, so it's not that hard to stay cool. Just a little bit of shade makes a big difference, you know, so it's not very hard to get stay cool when you don't drink alcohol. But if you drink, staying cool is very difficult. You know? What about uh, the rainy days and the cold days? Well, the rainy days, I just try to keep myself under uh, an eve or go to the church and stay, hang out there. You know, I don't have a whole lot of options because all of my options are from a man who's living in my house and, and uh, doesn't want to, you know, come. He doesn't want to fix what he broke, so to speak. You know, I, don't, I really shouldn't say a whole lot about it. But, so, so you do have a house. You have somewhere well, to go. The guy that done that did malpractice me, he lives in in my. You know, somehow he figured to manage it. You know, through life you. You, you know, you eventually come to the realization of where you want to live and what you want to do, and that's what he did. He he lives in my house, and, you know, and he's just, you know, so that's why I don't have a home. So he kicked you out of your own house? Pretty much. Well, he didn't kick me out. I was, see, the, I, I'm, I'm not making sense, but what I'm saying is the guy that done surgery to me when I was younger that's stopping me, preventing me from working every day, you know, he lives in the house of my dreams, and he's... Also got you know other dreams of mine too because he he did this for um, you know for what do you call it secular reasons in the church I guess you know I guess I'm not sure what you call it but it's something like religious you know it's his religious belief you know and he had the right to do it I don't disagree with it but you know he made a mistake when he was doing it so. But nevertheless, I still, you know, with all due respect, I still get along well out here. I have a lot of friends, and I'm also, you know, I'm also um, a great part of the neighborhood watching. I'm also, you know, a large part of the community and, uh, you know, California dream and everything. I'm cleaning up California, you know. Man, it seems like you do more than the average person out here, dude. And you're, you, you don't really have a place to stay, and you deal with a lot. Yeah, yeah. When I first got, I started in 2002 and for 10 straight years. I picked up trash 24 hours a day, like 10,000 bags of trash. And when I got done, I went back to this place where I started. There was like twice as much trash there on purpose, you know. But I just kept picking it up and picking it up every day. Yeah. Do you deal with people um, mistreating you or talking down to you? Or even if it's the cops or just random people in the streets, do they treat you bad or do they 
I don't know, give you a hard time at all or anything like that? In the, yeah, the streets, well, it's kind of like the, on the streets, people have a lot of things to say about someone who, you know, when they look at you, they don't see much except for your ethics. You know, when they look, they see a person that's homeless, mostly, mostly surely, or at least me, they just see your ethics. And I believe that ethics is, a, you know, the things you do on your own by yourself. And that's why they get so mad at me because I, 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 I don't, you know, I don't have anything bad to say about anyone, not even the guy, who, you know. But I, I think that's why they get real mad at me, just like the police. They're not, they're not, they, they've given me a positive and a lot of positive feedback, but their only problem is my ethics, you know, the things I do when I'm, when they're not around, when no one's around, the things that I accomplish, things like that, it just bothers them, you know. Picking up trash for 10 years straight, you know, and then getting arrested on the last day, you know, that's, that's, it's a failure, but it's not a very good success. So wait, the cops arrested you for picking up trash? Well, they didn't actually pick, arrest me for picking up trash, but after 10 years, 24 hours a day of picking up trash, unbelievably, that's what they did. They put me in jail for a long time for something, a crime I didn't commit. But I'm guilty of it, though. I'm guilty of resisting arrest and assaulting the police officer, but I didn't do it. Well, tell me a little bit about that incident. How did that happen? Tell me, like, step by step, how, okay. where you were walking, what well, happened? I was walking down the street smiling, and a police officer had his arm out the leg, arm out the window of his, his, um, his car, and he, uh, he asked me what I was smiling about, and I didn't even know I was smiling. So he, you know, jumped out of the car and took me to the ground and told me, you know, told me I wasn't supposed to be smiling. And when he took me down to the place, his friend said the same thing, and that's what started it all. And, you know, then he, um, he went in there and he asked my boss where I worked, and I wasn't really working, I was just picking up trash and pulling weeds, and he said, he asked if Jeffrey Michael Gillum works here, and the man, and, and Mr. Chuck O'Neill said, no, he doesn't work here. So he pulled his gun out and I ran. I didn't resist and assault him, I took off. And ever since then I've had a record. Wait, so just because you were smiling in the streets, the cops started harassing you? Yeah, he started harassing me. Wow. Yeah, he wasn't like you, he, he, was a good, he wasn't a good person, he was apparently a bad person. Because I wasn't doing nothing, I was just smiling, walking down the street. Next thing you know, I was on the ground with my face. I, I didn't care, it didn't, he didn't hurt me or nothing, but, you know, he, he, you know, after that, it was all downhill, you know. It went from resisting and assaulting, that same officer is what they said, I resisted and assaulted him, you know, and that I resisted his arrest and assaulted him, you know, and that um, he was a seven-year veteran for the Pontiac Sheriff's Department, an executive officer. He said, I resisted, so I didn't resist. He pulled the gun out and I ran. He couldn't catch me, he got pissed off. He watched me every day, he knew what I was doing, and the, he knew that my boss, he knew that my boss was like that. He waited for the right time to go in there and ask. Before, you know, and he said, no, he doesn't work here. I mean, if he'd have just said, yeah, he works here, you know, I wouldn't have no record, I wouldn't have none of these problems. Because the minute the police had done that, I've been you know, tagged ever since, and I've been bothered by everyone. So how long were you in jail for, and how was it in there? I was in jail for three years and 16 months. I got up on parole, and ORed in parole for uh, resisting and assaulting a police officer with three years of felony um, um, parole. And I went to three years of parole, drug testing and everything, and I, I got off in three years. You know, so altogether it was six, seven and a half years I was in prison for a crime I didn't even commit. I ran. <laughs> I invaded the police. I didn't insult them. Man, that must have been tough, man. Yeah, it was tough. The hardest part about it was seeing him again. You know, when he you know, had his partner go arrest me for standing by a tree. You know, burglary, and I was in jail for five years for that, like he was trying to clean my life up. And I, I went to jail for five years for burglary because his partner 
you know, he told his partner about me. His partner went in there and um, arrested me for burglary. And they found me, 12 jurors found me guilty of burglary in the residential area in San Bernardino County. You know, I was standing by a tree in an abandoned house. There's nothing in it. I didn't take any of it. It was abandoned. Wow. There was nothing in that house to take. It was in a complete abandoned house. And they arrested me for that, <laughs> you know. But that doesn't have nothing to do with homelessness. You know, but being homeless, you know, picking up trash is something I wouldn't do even if I was homeless. But if you're disabled and you're homeless, it's the only treatment you'll get, you know. And it's important to stay busy and keep your heart pumping and not to stop ever. You know, Albert Einstein said that, you know, an arrowhead in the proverb is to never completely stop, just continue to keep moving. And that's what I did for 10 years. And now I just, I do it a lot, but just not as much as I did then. You know, I think it's important to know that, you know, his theory is truly a good theory, you know. Man, it shows that you have a lot of heart. Yeah. You still have a lot of belief. You still believe in God. You have a lot of faith in you, even though you're in a situation like this. Uh -huh. And I think a lot of people uh, don't realize how lucky they are or how blessed they are. And you're over here struggling on an everyday basis, and you're blessed. You say you're, you're grateful and all that stuff. What advice can you tell to these people that are listening to this podcast and that are have a roof under their head, have a job. Well, the best advice I can give them is this, you know, if you see someone else that's being, you know, getting, receiving something that you want or something that you need, be as happy as you are for them as you would be for yourself, and it'll help you a lot to be real grateful, you know. And then if someone asks you to help them with the same thing, you know, the same cause, you know, be of good service, you know, and let your gratitude speak when you care and share with them after you've helped them in, in their service, you know. Yeah. Michael, um, have you tried getting help anywhere? Yeah, I've been in Narcotics Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous. I've, I've lived in recovery houses, and I've lived, I've done, I've worked for Goodwill Ministries. I've done everything there is to do except for, uh, you know, um, I've worked a 12-7-12 tradition program, and I've also had a spiritual awakening as a result of the 12 steps, and I still carry the message to alcoholics. I still go to AA, but that has nothing to do but being homeless, being homeless is because I got a divorce from my wife, you know, and, and she broke my heart. But you know, she was wasn't really my wife, or she'd still be here. But nevertheless, you know, I still believe in God. When I was, since I was a kid, I still believe in God today. You know, what do I think God is and what He's doing for me? I think God is, you know, the things, that, the adversity I'm going through, and I still haven't got to where He wants me to be because I'm failing. I'm not very successful, but there's obstacles in my way. One. One of the obstacles in my way is where I plan to live is 7th 21st Street. Who's in the way? Well, the person in there is a problem, not to me, but to everyone except for me. And the other adversity is, you know, the person he's with. That was the person that, you know, you know has given me an ability not to be successful and very successful. And I, I'm not real happy about that, but I'm not upset that I'd like to go on with life. You know, I'm unable to work ever again in my life. And apparently the person who's done this to me doesn't think it's that's very important. Well, I didn't. I, I agreed with you until I positively identified the man as a Unabomber. You know, you know. And I, I know that. You know, when I was a kid, I invited some guy to my school. When I was in second grade in, in Mary Lewis in, in Fontana, and the guy's name was Ted. I can't remember his last name. But he came here, and it's it's noted at Mary Lewis and stuff. So it's just funny, you know, how my I go through adversity every day. Things that, you know, I like to do things that no one else wants to do. And I live in the shoes and the, and the footsteps of my own self of what I would never, ever do.
You would never catch me doing any of this. And I live in it and I enjoy it. I'm happy and I'm also grateful. I just can't, you know, I can't put a smile on my face because of surgery, you know. I'm very happy and I'm also grateful and I'm very content. I'm at peace with the earth and everyone on it. But I just have a hard time putting a smile on my face considering the guy that done this to me lives in the, my dream house, you know, and, he, and he, you know, and then the person he's with is the woman who, you know, they weren't together. You know, they got together the day they made the mistake, you know. It's like two, you know, how you meet, oh, so to speak, like Pac-Man, you know, and they meet, you know, you know, and they had a child. You know, they, they went on with life and grown into, you know, they're just, it's not a fair life. It's not fair to, it's fair to me, but, you know, they just, it's not cool, you know. You know, you know, whether I'm homeless or whether I'm not, you know, the opportunity you give me is more than someone who's, you know, hurt my mother and taken my mother from my father and given life to someone who deserves it, but no one understands it unless it's explained to them. And then more or less, you know, you know, murdered my brother and raped my other, so to speak, in a manner what? of speaking. In a manner of speaking, you know what I mean? Because oh, okay. that's what it's like. When you do something which closes, turns the light out to everyone, you know, what you've done is pretty much murdered someone. And when you turn them back on, what you've done is you've, you've defied them by, you know, because, you know, that's what he did, you know. But that's okay today because I wasn't in the World Trade Center and I wasn't in Oklahoma City and I wasn't in Boston when, you know, when the Unabomber done these things. I was in San Bernardino, you know. Where were you born and how was your childhood? I was born in St. Bernardine's Hospital and my childhood was great because I grew up in here in San Bernardino on 4513 North East Street. You know, but um, I didn't have a lot of uh, a lot of friends because I kept to myself because you know I believe um, you know just you know drug and drug use life abuse, but I think you should do drugs because they're important. I think that they're helpful for everyone, especially in situations where you know people fugitives or people like that get away with things that they're doing. You know, and I think it's important that people do drugs for like medication. You know, it's very important because drugs enhance give you, and, and sometimes people believe it enhances your abilities. I don't think so. I just think I think it makes you aware of them. And that, in turn, helps you to be a little more, you know, because drugs are good for you as long as you know the facts on them. If you do the homework, it's okay to do drugs. It's all right to get high as long as you know what you're doing. You know, if you don't, well, anything you don't understand or know can be a serious problem. And too much of anything is not good. So you're talking about medication drugs yeah, or actual yeah. like drugs like marijuana yeah. and the stuff like other drugs like methamphetamine and yeah. stuff like that? Like what kind of drugs are you talking about? My brother John, he died of a tumor in his head and that could have been prevented by marijuana. It's called glaucoma. First it starts in your father and then it goes to a tumor in you, you know, because that's what glaucoma does. It kills you. It's a need of marijuana and medication and you don't get it. Do you eat every day? Uh, well... Uh, it's not that I eat every day, it's just that, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I don't really like talking about that because my mom, my stepmother, they really help me out, and I'm just a little bit above them when it comes to health, you know, because I believe that's, you know, that's 100% of life, and it's, you know, staying, you know, I just think that you can make, you know, just like someone says, you can be whatever you want to be when you grow up, you can also be as healthy as you want to be from anything you eat, as long as, you know, it was fed you when you were growing up, so to speak, you know. So you don't really eat every day? Or? I eat every day. Well, where, where do you get your food? I get it mostly from the church delivery seat. The last problem I had with that... What church? Uh, the Seventh-day Adventist Church on 18th Street. I don't remember that church. Too. But the church brought me some chicken one time and I cooked it and I got sick, right? 
So I said, well, you know, that's all the food I had. Next, and the next week they brought another batch of food. And they brought chicken. I got sick again. So I ate it, and, you know, then I was praying to God. And I was telling God, you know, God, if I get sick again, I mean, if they bring chicken again, I'm going to eat it again. Well, the next week, the seventh day, I met a church came out and honking their horn out there. I said, yeah, let's go get the food. What they had was chicken again. So I ate the chicken again, and I got sick again. That was the third time. And then after about six or seven times doing that, I realized that I wasn't alone. The other person that was getting, that was eating the chicken with me was God. So I realized that this time I was in the bathroom, and I was sick, right? And I was throwing up, and I could hear God. Ooh! I was throwing up six, I ate the chicken, right? And I told God, I said, you know, God, if they bring us chicken next week, you know, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be in here next week doing exactly what I'm doing right now. You know, like exactly what you're doing right now. I'm going to be sick, you know, throwing chicken up. So next week they came, and, and well, they brought it a little bit extra because the church was real good that month. And they brought chicken, and well, nevertheless, I cooked the chicken, all of it. I cooked every bit of chicken, ate it, and I got sick again. And so did God, I guess. And so you were probably I, allergic to that chicken or something, huh? I don't know what was wrong. There was nothing wrong with the chicken. I just got sick from eating the chicken. What, what's the longest you've I gone? Chicken. I think when I was in Pontel with my friend Scott James, right there in Locust Avenue, me and him had some chickens, and my chicken got pregnant, or, you know, had eggs and chickens, and it had a bunch of chickens. And I think those chickens were my own chickens, and that's what got me sick. I don't eat my own chickens. I was going to ask you real quick, uh, what's the longest you've gone without eating nothing? Uh, well, probably a couple of days, but it's good to fast. Maybe a day or so. Probably about a day, yeah. you know. Do people see you ever and try to help you out, give you a handout? Uh, yeah, the church comes every day. They just don't see me because I'm always busy picking up trash on the highway. But everybody gets food every day from the church except for me because I'm usually busy. No, I'm talking about like random people in the street. Yeah, even that. You know, when you're doing things like picking up trash along the highway, there's no, you know, they don't wait. You know, I, I mean, I could have eaten every day. I missed a lot of meals, but it's because I was staying busy on the sideway picking up trash. When you're picking up trash along the highway, they don't see you. When they're going to stop to give out food, you know, very rarely do they, they never see me. I barely, never got food when I was on there. The only time I got it is when, like the other, yesterday they brought food, but I was picking up trash, so I didn't get none. I saw them when I didn't get food yesterday. Whenever you pick up trash along the highway, they do not pick up, they do not give you food for some reason. They don't see you. What about uh, bathing and stuff like that? I go to my friend Danny's house every day, unless his girlfriend's there, and then I have to just go find a faucet and get cleaned up. Yeah. So, so you're able to take a shower in a certain house, but you're not able to stay there? No, my dear friend Danny, he, he, I can't, I can't want to stay in his house because we're friends. And most likely what will happen for me staying there is we won't be friends. You know, because I don't, you know, it's not, it doesn't work out very good, you know. Friends are better to, you know, stay, so to speak, at an arm's reach, especially, you know. Because, I, I mean, unless, of course, you know, you can, you know, you thoroughly work it, think it out, it will work. But unless, of course, you know, you know, because it just, it's hard to work things out like that. It really is, you know. I mean, yeah, it's difficult, you know. Yeah, it's pretty hard living with somebody else. So you're just yeah. pretty much go to that house to bathe. Yeah. How, so you have a lot of friends out here in the streets? Yeah, I got quite a friend. Danny, Danny's my friend, and then he's got a lot of friends, you know, pretty much. And then, Do they help you out? Yeah, a lot of them do. They're real helpful. And then, like, Chili Willie, he's my friend, too. And, and, and he's got a lot of friends, so, you know, I know all of them, all, all Danny's and all his. So, you know, kind of, it's just sort of like, you know, you know, like anything else, it just makes you feel a lot better when, yeah. Look... One more question before I let you go, man. Okay. If you had control to help everybody out there that's homeless, at least here in the county of San Bernardino, 
what best advice can you give them or what will you be able to do to help everybody out there that's homeless? So what do you think people need out there that are homeless to get a handout and not be in the situation that they're out? What do you think is the number one reason and what is what could help them out? What can help the homeless people out? I think what can help them out the most is... Speak up a little. Well, what I think can help them out the most, I think it probably be get a job, you know, so if they get a job, they want to be in the situation they're at. I think I, I think it, I think it'll help them. Yeah, I don't think they'd be in the situation because if you go to work eight hours a day, at the end of that week, you're going to find out that what you deserve is to relax a little bit, you know. And, and then another week or so go by, you, what you deserve is to go home and you know and do, you know what I mean? I think a job is what they need. Yeah. What about a? Uh people that are out there in drugs do you think there's a lot of people that are addicted to drugs that's why they're homeless yeah I, I think if you're homeless and you do drugs that's not good unless of course you're responsible if you can be around your friends and make sure that they get to like for example if your friend has a, has something that needs to be done but you need to make sure that that's done that day you know it's okay then if, you know but if you're on drugs and you can't seem to tell your friend to go do something or help or spark them to go get something done or even their own you know then you got you need to work on that right away because you should be there should be growth even if there's none in you because you're homeless I mean no one will ever really know you know it's progress rather than perfection how do you actually determine whether or not there's growth in that person or not you can't but you can if it's a reflection of their your friends and and whether it's just one or and one or you know one thing or another but it's very important that you do the things in life with your you make have your friends do the things in life that you would have done because i would have not been irresponsible and i would have not had debt or stuff like that i would have been because i you know although i'm homeless i still would have paid my debts and i would have been honest i would have never lied to anybody or stolen nothing i don't steal and lie either because it's important that their only fear be you know something that you do without even thinking which is i don't steal i don't lie and i don't cheat nobody if you could go back to the part where any, everything started falling apart, your divorce and everything, what would be the one thing you would have changed so you wouldn't end up being where you're at right now? Um, I think I probably would have changed when I when I went gambling with twenty dollars from Tony Laporte in Pontana. I probably would have just told my brother Ronzo that if, you know his his um, his stocks in that American Indian or whatever. No good. It just how I took his 401k. Or what I'm trying to say is, I wouldn't have gambled and won that money for my brother Ronzo's 401k in the American Indians or whatever, whatever they, however that works. You know, you know when you put your money in your retirement in a stock, you know, it's in somebody. You're putting your money. You're, you're investing in one someone, whether you like it or not. You know, like Brian McCutcheon said, you're investing. And when you do an investment, it either pays off or it don't. Well, he put his money, all his money in me, and didn't know it, and. uh well, I won, you know. So, I mean, it's just good fortune, you know. So you won when you were gambling? Yeah, and you saying, what would I change? That's what I'd change. I'd keep the money and, and just watch my brother and his family, you know, go around begging and being homeless and try to find a place to shower and stuff. No, I just kidding. Yeah, I won, you know, for his 401k, you know, because he put his stocks in. On the stocks, he was, it was an American Indian. And, um, you know, and what happened was I'm the one he just put invested in. And it paid a div- it paid off, you know. Did you lose all that money? Twenty dollars. No, the first ten dollars I won seventy seven million dollars with the Super Bowl at Sam and Will and Domingo Casino. How much? Seventy seven million dollars on the progressive jackpot of Sam and Will. You won that much? Mm-hmm. And uh Super Bowl Kino. 
And who kept all that money? What happened? That's millions of dollars. John's the one who um, had to check and stuff and took the picture. I had to go to the hospital. So he kept your money? No. No, but he's, in the, one, he's the one in the picture in the, Samuel, in the, in the newspaper about the, about the jackpot. Yeah. So what happened to that money? Um, whatever my brother did with it, I don't know. So he kept it? No, my brother John died, though, so I'm not sure what he did with it. Wow. But I won regardless. It don't matter. I won. You know, I, I did win. It was the first $10. And the second ten dollars, I won two, and I won. I can't. I don't know, you know exactly how much it was. It was a lot, and I and I um, and someone t sat down and and they cleared the ticket and gave it to him. I think, whoever that was. Wow, man. But I did win. I swear. I, it was the largest progressive jackpot in the history of the world, or whatever. Or something. There was seven seven thousand seven hundred seventy-seven machines, and uh, I can't go through it all. But and there was um, and jackpot was seventy-seven million dollars. What year did this happen? Do you remember? Uh, uh, let me see. I was still married. No, I wasn't. Wait. I can't remember. Um, that, that's yeah, I was, I was thinking I was still. I can't remember. I can't really remember. I know it was um, It was about the year I got that 1996 Saturn. So I'm not sure when that was. But all I remember, you'll know if you tell. Sam and Will, they had, a, they had a game that was called Super Bowl Kino. And the progressive jackpot got so high. That, and it was everywhere. It was like wildfire around everywhere. And, you know, I was, one day I was talking and praying to God, and I started talking to him like I don't normally do, just like I'm talking to you. And what I was talking about was 80 numbers and the random, and the, and the 10 that random numbers that come out more frequently than anything else. And when I said it, you know, like a light went on in his head, and I realized that, you know, well, that's important to me to know. Because, and then I wasn't doing it for gambling purposes, I was just doing it because that was my thoughts. My thoughts were out of 80 numbers. What was the 10 numbers come out the most frequently? And I ran by myself, and I, I was talking to God. I was praying, and I started talking to him like that, and it just seemed to work out, you know. I sat there for three days at Samuel Wells, my uncle, Eddie Weaver, and I was loitering for three days watching him play poker. And I only had, I didn't even know I had money in my pocket. I had signed up. The guy came by and said, would you like to sign up for the Super Volcano Progressive Jackpot? And a couple pages he flipped over, and I said, yeah. He put my name down. And my uncle, Eddie Weaver, and I sat there for three days loitering, watching him play poker. And then I was getting ready to leave, and I walked down. And I walked back up, and he turned the page over and said, Jeffrey Michael Gillum, you're the third machine from the bingo parlor. So I went down and put my $20 in, and I put my numbers in, and I hit all 10 of them with the Super Bowl, the first, you know, the first dollar. And then, you know, the first pull, I hit all 10 of them out of 10. And there was, in the row, there was like 21 machines there, and I took a thought of how much money went in there and the time it took me to unfold 20 bucks and stick in there and put those numbers and win in about $90,000 is what each one of the Indians in the reservation earned just from those machines on, on the row I was in. Wow. That's a lot of money for how many 21 Indians? $90,000 each is what they got. That's how much money they were putting in those machines. The corporation everyone was putting thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars millions of dollars in there to win a jackpot. You know, the only way to win is to just be the one, one lucky person, I guess. You you had mentioned something about your memory yeah. earlier. Uh, do you want to talk about a little bit about yeah. that? Yeah, my memory is like a bunch. It's like about ten balls, ten numbers on a Super Bowl Kino machine. Ones that I, I just can't tell you them. But if you took out the ones I picked, and you know, it's only seventy left to figure out that ten of those numbers are my memory, so to speak. And um, 
I don't know which, I didn't get to see the numbers, but if I, w if I went back to this casino and asked them to turn the Super Bowl cam machine on to the jackpot, progressive jackpot in the winter, and they said, well, the first, your numbers for the winter, definitely. And then one was the Super Bowl, and that was my last number, and that's what it hit Super Bowl. But the other side, those numbers, it's real important because I need those numbers for my, for my recovery because I could recover right now with those numbers because they're real important, you know, because those numbers are, I don't know why, but that's what my memory is. Ten numbers in, in ball, ten balls, and they're ten numbers. I just can't figure out what they are, though. Wow. If there's a, you say you're grateful for how you are every day, that you yeah, get something. Yeah, I'm grateful. So what, what advice can you tell these people that are not homeless and they deal with depression or they deal with their life being overwhelmed or being hard? What, what, what advice can you give them? The best advice I can give anybody if they're homeless is, you know, you know don't have sex, period. <laughs> don't have sex? Yeah. That's well, right. why, why is that? Well, because you're homeless. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. I hear you, but I'm saying people that are listening to this podcast that yeah, do have a have roof. Sex at all, if you were homeless, unless of course, like in my case, I have an excuse. I'm homeless from a from a divorce. But what's the, the actual root of my problem is, you know, um, someone, you know, well, you know, things that I guess you, I guess you, you know, I already said it. You know, if you're homeless, you really shouldn't have sex because you're not clean, so to speak. You know, because true and undefined religion before the fathers to visit orphans and widows and make sure you have good claim, you know, good, I guess, I assume you say. No, no, um, let me rephrase my question. Okay. Uh, for people that are listening. Yeah. What, what advice should I give them? Yeah, they're, they're not homeless. They're at a house. They oh. have a good roof under their head. They have a job. These I would people. Say, I would say that, um, oh, I, I'm, I'm missing you. I would say on top of not having sex, I would say that, you know, to consume a lot of, um, you know, vast quantities of things that are now sold, you know, legally and things that, you know, you buy hand in hand. And also to um, never forget September 7th and September 11th, the World Trade Center. It's the best advice I can give you. You know, never forget. The best advice is not to forget something. You know, because it might be helpful for you to know that, you know, memory is a problem. But if you can remember September 11th and what happened on September 7th, it might be helpful for you. It might be good advice. Because I know that advice is hard to give because the Bible, I read the Bible and it, it tells you not to give advice to anyone. Take it, never take advice from anyone. The best advice I can give anyone is to remember September 11th and September 7th, World Trade Center, you know, and then the Oklahoma City bombing. And, uh, Why is that? Because a lot of people died? Yeah, a lot of people died on, on, in September. Because on September 11th, the World Trade Center 9-11, which is when the terrorist Unabomber, you know, he put his bombs in the World Trade Center and they came crashing down the simulated planes. On September 7th is when he done both Oklahoma City and the Boston Marathon. He put the nails in the bags and he stuck them right there. And he went to he went to the uh, Oklahoma City and um, that's when he um, used the bombs that take his, just the mirrors the bombs that take Kaczynski had. That's what he used in, in Oklahoma. Yeah, and, and the same backpack that Tchaikovsky had stuff in, he had a bunch of those, and he used those there, too. I positively identified the Unabomber. Did that affect you in your life when those things happened? Yeah, well, no. I watched the Twin Towers at my stepfather's. I watched the, the planes, the simulated planes. You know, that guy that, you, know, you ever see that computer where they can go like this and, and out inside, and you can see it right in front of you? Yes. Well, that's where those planes were from. They were simulated planes. You know, because the guy that done this dinner office to me, he's the one who done those. David Bremerwein, he's the one who, um, you know, when he was doing the surgery and stuff, I was in there for 59 hours while he took my mom for a joyride to New York. He was planning the bombs there, you know. What, what illness do you have uh, that I, prevents you from working and all that? The illness is um, I'm unable to work because 
the surgery that he done to me was through the mouth, but um, the the dentist done a root canal and the doctor done malpractice surgery. There's no explanation. No one can tell you tell you what surgery he did. It was malpractice. And the dentist done a root canal, which I didn't need a root canal. And the doctor done malpractice surgery. Okay, so I don't know how to explain this to you, but the doctor was a bad person worse than the dentist. And the dentist was a bad person. And, you know, they don't know each other, so to speak. They didn't know, one didn't know they were swapping spit with each other. But yet, you know, the guy that had his hand, his glo a white glove on, and put it in my mouth, you know, he put bombs in bags, and he put bombs in cities, and he put bombs in two buildings. You know, that today no one knows. Why well, do I know? You know, because I, I know for a fact, because I watched on television, like John Walsh. I watched him say, this is a composite sketch of the Unabomber. This is the dentist or the yeah, doctor? The dentist. And they said, if you can identify him, to call. Well, I did, because I can identify, positively identify him. The same dude that worked in my mouth for 59 hours, saying he was a dentist, you know, is the guy on TV, you know. I mean, I never got nothing. No one ever believed me. He's like a little boy that cried wolf, I'm telling you. And then his friend, you know, is the guy that has the, that, the guy with the glasses and stuff on TV that has that robe. That's the guy searching for him. That's not the Unabomber. That's not Richard. You know, that's the good guy. The dude with the glasses on and the robe. And the, but the guy that did the surgery to me that made me, got me this way, because I could have made it through my wife and, and being homeless, and I could have given good advice to other people that aren't even homeless. But there's no way to do anything when the person who done this to me, you know, has their hidden agenda is more or less a you know a serious issue. You know, I'm from I'm an American from California, you know, and I just don't agree with stuff like that. I don't agree with you being able to get away with putting bombs in my pastures. You know, city or his his um, state, and I don't agree with you putting the memory loss in my my pastor's wife from Boston, and I don't agree with you, you know, telling everybody my prayer, which is where I prayed. Where what would I be doing, God, if I wasn't home, homeless and disabled from what this man did? Why well, be working at the World Trade Center from the nine 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 Linden Avenue Church in Bloomington, California? Instead, I'm homeless. Okay, that's where I'd be working. I don't know if they'd know, but that's where I'd be, right in the World Trade Center and halfway. Right where he, my mom and him went and put the, you know, the blessed little gifts. Michael, if um, if you had a perfect ending yeah. from here on, what would be your perfect ending in your life? Like a oh yeah, perfect ending in my life would be working right where I'm supposed to work for nine 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 Avenue, Pentecostal Church of God in the World Trade Center. And where, what city? Where you still live here in San Bernardino? Sure, I live here. I can live here homeless. It don't bother me. Wow. Okay. So you're fine being homeless? Well, no, I, read, I, I, I despise being homeless. I can't stand it, but I, I'm only, you know, I don't own a home where I can just go to it. And every and I did, but I got taken from me accidentally. You know, so, you know, if I had a home right now, I would go home to it. I wouldn't share it with anybody except for, well, the woman, my wife, or my kids, or my family, and my friends, of course. Did you have any kids with your wife? Yeah, yeah, I have one kid, my daughter, Christina. How, how old is she? Um, she's, she was born in 96. I can't exactly, my memory's a little, I think she's, you know, she's not that old, 20-something years old. Will she help you? Has she seen you out here? Yeah, she sees me. She knows I'm out here, but she'll help me. You know, she does, but only in her own way, you know, because she's real busy. Okay. All right, Michael. Um, I didn't mean to take so much of your time. I appreciate your time. Thanks for your interview, man. Thanks for letting people know what you deal with. 
you know thanks a lot man uh if you see michael out here give him a hand help him out with some change money anything you guys can help him out with michael i'm gonna go ahead and let you go uh one last thing you want to tell these people that are listening to i love you and jesus loves you too jesus loves you and so do i keep the faith of job you know the church will always you know mend our hearts eventually and God will eventually, he'll slowly heal the nations from the leaves and the trees on both sides of the river, you know, that flows from the throne of God. So we'll be all right. All right. Good luck, Michael. Right. I appreciate your time, man. Right. You got this and hopefully everything works out with you. So. Thanks, and, man. And on the other hand, I hope that they all bless you with all, you know, anything you want, anything you need, anywhere, everywhere you go. I hope you're blessed with an abundance of God's love. And I hope he feels, puts more love in your heart, too. You know, amen. Amen. Amen, man. Thank all you. Right.